IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. IndyCar Racing said goodbye to Robin Miller, who passed away on the morning of August 25th after a four-year battle with multiple myeloma that had developed into leukemia. Miller was the skinny kid from the south side of Indianapolis who used to sneak into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with his father through a hole in the fence in the back straight where they would watch the first 40 to 50 laps of the Indianapolis 500 in the late 1950s. He would go on to become perhaps the most influential member of the media in the history of the Indianapolis 500 and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Miller began his racing career as a stooge for driver Jim Herdebees in the 1968 Indianapolis 500 when he was just 18. He ended up getting fired when he put a can on top of Herdebees' freshly painted race car, ruining the paint job. One year later, he began his journalism career at the Indianapolis Star. He was just 19 when he began covering the Indiana Pacers of the recently created American Basketball Association and became close personal friends with Pacers coach Bobby Slick Leonard and the great Pacer players of that era, including Roger Brown, Mel Daniels, Bob Nedelicki, and Billy Shepard. Although Miller flunked out of Ball State University in nearby Muncie, Indiana in 1971, his career flourished at the Indianapolis Star. He later became the auto racing rider covering the biggest sporting event on earth, the Indianapolis 500, as well as USAC, CART, and IndyCar racing. In the 1970s and early 1980s, Miller was also a race driver in the USAC Midget Series, giving him a unique understanding of racing as a journalist. He would ultimately become a columnist at the Star and was unafraid of anyone. Miller was at odds with famed Indiana University basketball coach Bob Knight, took on Indianapolis Colts quarterback Jeff George, and was decked by A.J. Foyt in front of 30,000 fans one day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Miller was opinionated, outspoken, outrageous, bombastic, controversial. One thing he wasn't, however, was intimidated. When former Indianapolis Motor Speedway owner Tony George created the Indy Racing League with the Indy 500 as its cornerstone event in the mid-1990s to take on the rival cart, Miller took on the Speedway. He claimed the split would do damage to the sport at a time when it was the pinnacle of auto racing. He was also a man of conviction. You may not have agreed with what Miller wrote or said, but you were certainly interested in what he had to say. He had earned respect for his viewpoint, no matter how right or wrong that point of view may have been. 
Miller's bigger-than-life personality and his highly charged conflicts eventually cost him his job at the Indianapolis Star in 2001. He was quickly hired at ESPN, which gave him an even bigger platform than what he had at the Star. From there, he went on to Speed TV, where he co-hosted Wind Tunnel with Dave Despain. Racer Magazine hired him, where he continued to work until the final days of his life. He was also part of NBC's television coverage of the NTT IndyCar series, where he would use his trademark humor mixed in with his opinion during the telecast. Miller was also generous to his friends, picking up dinner tabs and passing out his famed shirts to honor various legends of racing every May to his pals at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Robin Miller was one of a kind. In the final days of his life, Miller was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame during a special ceremony at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on Friday, August 13. A frail Miller was able to attend the ceremony and gave an emotional and heartfelt acceptance speech that you will hear later on this podcast. The next day, he was back at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in a golf cart driven by his longtime friend, famed motorsports publicist Steve Shunk. Surrounded by family and friends, Miller got to watch the final IndyCar race of his life, the big machine Spiked Cooler's Grand Prix, on August 14, followed by the NASCAR Xfinity Series Pennzoil 150 at the Brickyard. Sunday, August 15th, Miller was back with Shunk and another longtime friend, IndyCar Vice President of Communications Dave First, for the NASCAR Verizon 200 at the Brickyard. Miller was at the bottom of the stage during pre-race driver introductions and got to visit with longtime friend Jeff Gordon. He gave advice to eventual race winner A.J. Amendinger and spoke with the best driver in NASCAR this season, Kyle Larson. Miller was happy and he was at peace. It may have been the greatest day of his life. Nine days later, Miller was placed in hospice. He died the following morning. Today's podcast honors Robin Miller, beginning with his induction speech into the Motorsports Hall of Fame on August 13th. Where's Tim Sender? Oh, RP's piece here. So we're not doing, I'm doing a story at LA a, a few years ago. So I call Tim and say, you know, let's talk about Elio's career here and what's going on. Cindric said, well, the first two practice days, he's like, what's the big deal about being here? It didn't do anything for him. He's like, drive around in a circle. He goes up, and Cindric said, you will learn to love this place. This will become one of your second homes, and you'll be really happy that you're driving for RP because it's going to make your it's going to help make your name. And Ella, he's a kid. He's like, yeah, it's an old boy. <laughs> buzz around like that. But it's amazing how things just fit together. And you know, you look at RP's record, and he always makes not always 90% of the time makes the right choice this guy's driving for you this guy this guy keeping him he's moving on people are like oh my god you know got rid of this guy but there is a knack and a talent to picking talent at a place like this and I think the speed and the intensity just that was just fit right in Elias' wheelhouse. And I think 
he's just uh, one of those guys that uh, was made to race here. And not that everybody doesn't want to be here, it's, but not everybody's made to, to race here and win here. It's just a, an amazing, it's an amazing combination. And, um, you know, when Roger gives you the thumbs that you're going to be, you're going to be part of the team. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but you also know I'm going to get the best of everything, and I got a chance to win this race every year. Look how many, look how close Elliot is to it being a six-time winner. You know what? Forty feet, and I just remember him getting out of the car. You know what year it was? Hunter Ray and him had that great race, and he put his hand on his head. You know he knew how close he was. You never know if you're going to get that opportunity again. So, I don't know. Of all the races in all the years, Indy needed this as much. His result and that finish and the reaction, I think it, I think it kept NBC right on top of things to want to keep going and made people want to come back next year and you'll have trouble getting a ticket. And when Roger Wright sees what I'm going to write on, on Sunday night, he's just going to like me or hate me, but I think he'll agree with me. I just want him, uh, I just want him to do one big thing, and I think it'll put it over the hump. But I think the Indianapolis 500 is back, and that's all you... You know, we were all worried a few years ago it's going to happen to Indy, or do people care anymore? Jeez, that's all they talk about. That's all they've been talking about for a month. And you can't buy that publicity. It's, it's, you cannot buy Elliot's enthusiasm. You can't buy the people that stood here for 40 minutes. Mario kissed him on the head. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this for 53 years, and I stood there going, nobody's leaving. <laughs> this is unbelievable. So just what a great month and what a great way to get the season going. I don't know. Hang on to that. I don't know if anyone has questions for Robin, but I'll pop you one here. I mean, you talked about all the great names that are involved in the Hall of Fame. Just to see your name a part of that now, what does that mean? When George called and said, hey, I got some good news for you, I said, what's that? He goes, you made the Motorsports Hall of Fame. I said, come on. <laughs> he goes, no. I mean, really? Bob Schweiker? Jimmy Bryan, A.J. Floyd, Mario, Roger Penske. Roger Penske, Prudhomme calls me up and goes, you owe me, I voted for you. I said, okay. Um, Chip, uh, Gar- Don Garlitz, all the guys that, you know, Parnelli, obviously Mario was great. You just can't, it's so hard to put your, you can't even imagine that, you, you should probably be in the same sense with these guys. I mean, Think about what they've done. You're, you're a guy, or you're a writer. You write about the drivers and the teams, the races, and yeah, you've had great access, and and people have been cooperative as hell, and you know you've pissed a lot of people off, and you've made some people happy. But to have relationships with guys like, you know, I'm I'm 17 years old stealing beer at sprint car races or Jim Hurtabies, just so you might remember my face. At 18, he hires me as a stooge doesn't pay me, realizes about a week and a half into it, I'm the, I may be the dumbest person that's ever been in our next show. Has to fire me. Free help when I get fired. <laughs> so then I start working on Bill Finley's IndyCar team, and then I go to work with Star and beg them to let me cover racing. 
then I buy a Formula Ford from Andy Granatelli, thanks to Art Pollard. Then I become part of the Bettenhausen family, buy a midget there, and start running USAC. I'm running, I'm writing 50, 52 columns a year about USAC racing because USAC was on top. Um, I flunked out of Ball State in 1971, and that's hard to do. It's hard to flunk out of Ball State. You got to try. I mean, you got to just. It's, and it's sad because my mom and dad didn't get a chance to go to college and I just threw mine away. But it was amazing. As you get older, so you go from hero worship and Mario and AJ and Parnelli and those guys, and then you become kind of friends, but you're covering them as, as drivers. Then you become friends with them. Then you get your home number. You call them anytime you want. They call you back. And then uh, you just feel like you're part of their life. It's just so, I'm so lucky. It's unbelievable. And you could not chart my career. There's nobody in this day and age that could come along and have the luck I had. It just doesn't happen. It just, I was at the right place at the right time. And somebody said, let's give this poor 45 IQ moron a chance to do something. Because obviously he can't do much. And I just think, uh, <laughs> Then I get sick, and all you guys chip in, and all the great RP. He calls me and says, "I'll fly them out, plenty. You need money." AJ calls, "What do you need?" You know, Mario and Rufus and everybody, and uh, it's uh, it's so humbling to see how many people jump in and want to help. And you know, you just can't. There's no words to describe. You're just overwhelmed because you're thinking. You know, I'm a guy that wrote, writes about racing and, and drivers and stuff, and these people jumped in. I mean, I'd be dead without my sister and her friends because I'd have died. Not, I'd have never made it through a couple weeks ago when I had a fever and collapsed and all that. But it, it's unbelievable how many people have just jumped in and Chunk and Fino and Larry Joe and just they jump in and help. You know, like they go die in a bed. They, built me an electric staircase I mean it's 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 beyond overwhelming you just can't even what do you say how do you repay people for that kind of kindness you can't you just have to be I'm so lucky to have any friends it's it's it shows you up. I don't I don't cry very often but that makes you cry because you think about all the people who've jumped in to help and you think they don't have to do this and they do so, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, if I don't get up tomorrow morning, I've had a great life. Here is a quick interview with Indianapolis Motor Speedway owner and IndyCar Series owner Roger Penske just after Miller's speech. Although the background for this interview is quite noisy, Penske's words carry impact on Miller's life and legacy. Robin Miller and what do you thought? I, I can't remember, to be honest with you, but he's been a friend of mine and a foe of mine for many years. Sometimes I'd hate what he wrote about us, but uh, great guy and... Uh, I know he's going through a lot of pain, and uh, but to see him again hold that 
Hall of Fame trophy, and he is a Hall of Famer. There's no question. So, you know, we're thinking about him and uh, love him, and uh, it's the best. And I mean, when you think about any single media member that has meant so much to this place, you can think of Chris Economy, but I can't think of anybody that would be on top other than Robin Miller. Well, Robin's on the top, and of course, Chris, and you know, you just think about so many people, but he is so special to everybody in this decade and many decades before. And also be able to share that with a driver that meant so much to you, Elio Castro. Well, that's special. You know, you see him be here for all of those four wins, and uh, he understands it completely. So it's a great deal. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Racing legend Mario Andretti began his IndyCar career in 1965, just three years before Miller showed up on the scene. The two became close friends. Here's an interview I conducted with Andretti on the day that Miller passed away. Yeah, we're on the same, we're on the same situation here. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it, no matter how much you prepare, you know, we, we knew that it was inevitable, you know, the way he suffered, uh, but, uh, I can never prepare for it. But, uh, you know, the one thing that um, that's a positive if uh, under these circumstances you can call it that is that uh, I think he he lived to uh, to understand the appreciation that he had from his peers, fans, you know, in, in, in general, you know, just uh, uh, every person in our sport that he touched our life for one their lives one time or another, in my opinion. Um, we all know, I mean, we all probably feel the same way. You know, he was brutally honest, you know, but um, but he was, you know, in his own way. Uh, I think he was very constructive. Uh, he You could tell that uh, he had no problem taking on any issue that uh, meant the betterment of the sport. Uh, he was front and center usually to express his opinion. And, uh, and again, you know, that's what he lived for, like we all do. And that's why we, uh, we love this man. I love this man, you know, and, uh, he grew up, basically grew together, you know, through the sport. And, um, uh, and again, it just, um, it's a, it's a tough one to, to deal with as, um, to me, is uh, is a family member that has left us again. Well, what's amazing is that he got to experience what he did twelve days ago. You know that weekend at Indy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so right that um, that the Speedway and uh, Roger and you know everyone involved, uh, Doug, they all saw it. Uh, you know the. Timely to uh, to honor this man in the in the ultimate way you could honor a racer, you know, and uh, and you could tell that uh, even him was really taken back. <laughs> you know, uh, I think it was definitely a highlight for him, and um, and like I said, if there's any positive. Uh, it's the fact that he got to really feel, you know, how much he was loved and how much he was appreciated, you know, in our, in our sport. 
photos with you, Cedar, and also the being at the bottom of the stage when they were doing the driver introductions for the for the NASCAR race and the driver stopping by. It's almost like he was at the receiving line of his own funeral in some ways, but he got to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, uh, people express the maximum respect for this man, which uh, he earned. He earned throughout his career. And uh, and that's uh, that's no small accomplishment for any human being in their life. There's never been a media member that meant as much to that sport and to that event as Robin Miller. And that takes in an awful lot of media members when you think about it. But for the time he was there, for the publication he was with, the only other person I can think of that maybe came close would have been Chris Economaki. But for what he meant to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and to the Indy 500, Robin's a, a 10-time Indy 500 winner. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. Yeah, no question. Uh, when he was there, he, he lived it, he understood it very well. And uh, there were periods where there was a lot of pain, you know, in all of us for what was happening. As we all know, we don't have to repeat it. And uh, he was front and center, you know, and uh, trying to uh, to express his own opinions, which 99.9% uh, were correct. When did you first meet Robin? I don't know. Could have been kindergarten because I was still in Italy, but uh, I think uh, it had to be when he just came on the scene. You know, uh, uh, when did he come on the scene in the sixties? Right? I mean, uh, well, actually, I think his first he, he went with his dad. They used to sneak into a place over by Turn Three where they could watch the first. 40, 50 laps without um, anybody at the Speedway knowing that they had snuck in and then they would go home. And in 1968, he started as a stooge with uh, Herdebees. Well, that's, you know, when he started mixing it up and when he started actually uh, being, you know, representing probably when he got uh, his job with uh, Indianapolis Star. Yeah. When he officially, you know, was uh, front and center, you know, on... Uh, and very aggressive, and and always, personally, you know, he's not the only one, but uh, I've uh, I've been at the uh, beginning of the career of several journalists, you know, that uh, have become, uh, you know, just very powerful, if you will, in in their sport, um, you know, like a Peter Windsor type of thing, you know, when they were just uh, young individuals that sometimes were not. Uh, uh, given the attention that they deserve. And and uh, he was one of them that you could tell he was very aggressive. I, mean, I think Michael Knight was another one, you know, when he was working for a Philadelphia paper. Um, you could tell they were really trying hard to be relevant. And you give them the time of the day, and uh, you could tell that they were very happy. And, uh, and he was one because uh, he really wanted to be there, you know. Uh, uh, it was easy to, to detect that. And uh, like I said, I don't remember specifically the year, but um, had to be just whenever he became relevant journalist, uh, you know, whereby 
he would approach someone like myself, you know, for whatever he needed to write about. Robin wasn't afraid of anything. Well, that's what, like I said, you know, he, he, he was, uh, he would express his opinion no matter what. And, uh, and he had to respect him for it because in his own way, he just wanted the best for the sport. And, uh, okay, sometimes we didn't always agree, but in general, uh, I personally did. I don't know uh, that we might have had some uh, slight disagreements here and there, but we always agreed to disagree, if that's what you mean. Um, you know, so that's normal. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I, again, I, uh, I know that as soon as he had that job to report the sport, as a youngster, you could tell that uh, he took that job very seriously. And to me, that meant something. You know, I always felt that uh, he definitely got the right time of the day for me. And, and you know, because of that, I think our friendship uh, was forever. Well, not only that, but he actually even tried to be a racer himself. Yeah, well, that's why he understood. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could tell. and. But he, he knew uh, he, he knew his limitations, and uh, but at the same time, uh, he understood the situation in and out. Um, just like uh, you know, he, he look at uh, well anyway. But I don't want to even compare some. But uh, um, Adrian Newey, for instance, an engineer, he drives uh, he drives uh, vintage cars and so on and so forth. He's kind of a race. And he's got a leg up on all the other engineers because he has a basic understanding, a real understanding of what a race car should feel like. And, and that's what uh, Robin, he had some feeling, some uh, special appreciation, I should say, for what these drivers had to go through. Because uh, I said a million times, our sport is such an unparticipant sport. And, uh, and he was in it. He knew what it took you know, to get the job done. And, um, and at one point he admitted to himself, he says, you know what, I'll just stick to writing, you know, but I understand it and I appreciate it. And these guys are my heroes. When did your relationship with him turn into a friendship? I think it's something that develops over time. I mean, it's not uh, like a light bulb, you turn it on or off. I think it's uh, uh, it's his demeanor. That's uh, it's always easy to kid with him. Uh, he called me racer. I called him racer. You know, there's that type of thing. We never called each other by name. Hey racer, hey racer. You know, and that sort of thing. It was on as long as I remember. Uh, but uh, you know, the friendships evolve. Uh, you know, it, uh, it it just happens. You don't say, okay, now. I think we're friends. It just evolves with time because uh, you run, always run into each other and go through uh, events and, uh, and times where sometimes are even critical times where sometimes opinions may differ. But uh, that's when you start uh, uh, appreciating, you know, just uh, how much someone cares. And he truly did care. He did care. He wasn't just reporting facts or uh, reporting what was going on. He just cared. He had his own opinion of what should be done. And uh, and uh, he was in pain when things were not going the way they should have been going, which we all know. Basically had no fear. 
he would write stuff that would he knew was probably going to really he knew that there would probably be a confrontation on some of the stuff he wrote including the time he wrote that Foyt was a cheater and Foyt went out and drilled him on pit lane uh, in front of 30,000 people he was one of those reporters that just didn't care yeah he wasn't intimidated I would say he was brutally honest in his own way what he believed in and uh let's put it this way I think he Touched a lot of raw nerves along the way, no question. Yeah. He, he did that, and uh, and he didn't care in the sense that he, he didn't care because he cared, if you know what I mean. Uh, he just um, uh, he, he just reported what he felt in his own way was the facts, and he was not afraid to back them up. And, uh, and that was that. And uh, what else, you know, what, what else can you say about somebody? Well, the other thing is how generous he was. A lot of people may not know this about him, but I mean, every year he'd spend a couple thousand dollars on those shirts that he would pass out. Whatever the the theme was for that particular year's 500 that he came up with. For your 50th, he did the special sweatshirt and T-shirt and all that. And I, I mean, know. these are all things that he did. On his own. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Good man. But also, yeah, but also somebody who truly appreciated and understood the history of the race with the ability to tell the story. The world's lost one of its great storytellers. Yeah, indeed. It was, uh, it was really, uh, to me, it was always fun reading and getting his side of it. And, uh, and that, that's a great storyteller. Yeah. That's a sign of a great storyteller. Yeah. Not a happy day, but no, no. But, uh, but then again, though, seeing what he was going through, yeah, yeah, that wasn't yeah. happy either. No, if you cannot have a quality of life, and we all know that. Yeah. Well, hey, I really appreciate the time. Okay, man. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Hang in there. Four-time Indianapolis 500 winner Rick Mears also had tremendous respect for Miller. Here are his thoughts from an interview last week. Another sad day. Yeah, I know it. I know it. It's a shame. When did you first meet Robin Miller, and what did you think of him? Oh, God, I can't remember when I first met him. I mean, it was probably back. You were still probably in the pink car for Suge. Yeah. Yeah, more than likely right around that time when I when I was getting started. Sorry, I'm sure I met him somewhere back in there. But I don't know. He and I have always gotten along well. You know, he was a, he's opinionated and, you know, always has been. And that's that was it's part of what, what made Robin Robin. So, you know, in that respect, it's all good. The point that I was probably trying to make was that even at the beginning of your IndyCar career, Robin Miller was already a big name. He was oh, yeah. kind of a guy that was, there were other people that covered auto racing, but there was only one Robin Miller. Yeah. Yeah. He was already right in, in the middle of it, you know, at that time. I mean, you know, obviously, you, can't, you know, with him starting like he did back with the midgets and, you know, and hanging out with the guys around there in India and everything. You know, he was he was already a, a part of that whole group, you know, way before I got there. But, uh, you know, and from the media side of it, he was already in the middle of it. And, 
and, and going strong, you know. Sure, you probably saw some of the pictures and stuff, but it really yeah, seemed yeah. like, it's like Shunk described to me, the stars just lined up perfectly because he said if it had been the weekend before, he would have been too sick to go. And the weekend after was this past weekend and not the beginning of the end, but the end of the end. Yeah. But that weekend was perfect because he had the ability, the strength, the attitude to go. And, and, and also the willingness. I think, yeah. you know, he, he had the willingness and which I think is part of what's helped him all along here. You know, the, the will to, to go forward and, and do what he wanted to do and needed to do. When he was at the bottom of those steps at the stage in Victory Lane and got to talk to Jeff Gordon and got to talk to A.J. Allmendinger and got to talk to Kyle Larson and and all these other drivers that during pre-race introductions, he was very happy. He was very, it was almost like a moment that was so perfect for him. In a way, it was an impromptu tribute. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, you know, it, it 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 it's been going on for a while. You know, the tribute to him and everything, and you know, um, I don't know. I just, you know, this stuff. How do you? I don't want to say he was an ordinary guy who did extraordinary things, or if that's the right way to describe him, because he was far from ordinary when you when you yeah. think about it. Yeah, it's, to me, to me, it, it, the easy way is there. There's only one Robin. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, and there's always, there's only been one Robin, period. You know, he, he just, he, he was a unique individual in his own right, you know, in, in everything he did. And he wasn't intimidated by anything. No. He would go after Tony George. There were times he went after Roger. There were times where he criticized AJ. He wasn't afraid of the repercussions. And as we all know, the one time he wrote that AJ was a cheater, the next day, Foyt stalked him down on pit lane and decked him in front of 30,000 people. And in today's journalism world, I don't think that there are that many people that, at least not in sports journalism anymore, that have that kind of... uh, Conviction. Yeah. I mean, just really, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, he, you know, he, he loved what he did and he, he loved what he was writing about. He loved motorsports and, and, you know, and uh, he cared for it, you know, so, you know, that, that overrode anything else, you know, if you felt, you know, something was right or wrong, you know, in because of his love for the industry and the sport, you know, he, he did what he thought was necessary, you know, and uh, that was the conviction he had to the to his craft, and you know, hey, hey, like I said, he and I got along great. We know we didn't always agree on everything, you know. Obviously, you know, nobody nobody ever does, but but we got along well, very well. But um, no, he just, you know, he he loved this he loved this industry, and uh, it was his life, you know. He and and, and he he cared for it, and. And he did what he thought was best to to take care of it, you know. The drivers have made the Indy 500 what it is, but there's also other people that have helped make it what it is. Roger Penske, team owners, engineers, car builders, A.J. Watson, uh, people like that. Robin Miller's name is probably, I can't think of another media member who meant more, means more to that event and to that facility than Robin Miller has for as long as he was there 
and representing the Indianapolis Star and then later even bigger things such as ESPN and, and later NBC. I think that he was probably is the only other media member that I can think of that would be on the same par might have been Economat. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 yeah, I agree. I agree with all that. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how to talk about it because you're always slighting somebody by doing, you know, how I am about that stuff and slighting somebody else and you, yeah, who's doing what, but, but I got to agree, but they talk about sports being team sports. He was a huge part of the team. Yeah. You know, you know, and you know, you've got all the individual teams and, and you know, that, that make up the business, but, but we're really all on the same team, you know, working together. And, um, and that's how you, how you keep things going and make things go. And, and he was, he's just been a huge part of the, the whole motor industry team period. Well, and also his ability to tell stories. We've lost a great storyteller. No, absolutely. That, you know, just his memory of detail and stuff, you know, that he could pull, pull out of his head on, on any given thing was, was incredible, you know, which is part of what helps him tell the stories. But, uh, but, but also he had the experience which created the stories, you know, his involvement and and being involved as, as deeply as he was and has been over the years, you know, that's what creates the stories is, is getting out there and being in the middle of it and being involved. And, uh, that helps create the stories to tell. And he was, he was always in the middle of it and involved heavily. And also his appreciation for the history of the, yep. the sport and, yep. and always having reverence for the legends. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's also an important role that we've still got people like Steve Shunk and all that that'll continue that tradition. But it was really, it was important to Rob and always be the guy who always talked about her to bees and talked about uh, Vukovic and those, and those guys, right. a lot of people that today's fans probably are completely unaware of, but yeah, those of us who were around then remember. Absolutely. He was big, big for that. Yeah. Well, and also his generosity, because I mean, every May he'd come up with a new t-shirt design and he'd, you know, hit <laughs> yeah. his own, at his own expense, he'd pass them out. Yeah. And he had his list of people that were going to get them and. Luckily, I got on the list one year, and those are always things that, you know, you always look forward to seeing what this year's design looked like. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. They really were. Well, anyway, these are sad days, even though um, I just had this hunch when I saw him. I go, really great that he's getting a chance to experience all this. No, absolutely. And he he was at peace with it. Yeah. Now his his attitude, you know, which is part of his willingness and you know and, and of dealing with with all of this is has just been incredible, I think, you know. Which is always a big such a big part of it. But um of the you know, healing or trying to heal or, you know, whatever. Such a big part of all of it and that, that willingness. But but again, his attitude and at peace with it and everything I think has been has been outstanding. I would say he was probably, you know, for most of his life, he was probably a restless soul. But the Robin that I saw 12 days ago, he was just, he was, it, it was like a, a, a different guy in some ways in, in terms of, and what he said when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, when they gave him the his award up on the fourth floor of the media center, I mean, you could tell 
you know, A, Robin Miller was a guy who never cried. He cried. Yeah. And B, the last words he said is, if I should die tonight, I've had a great life. Yeah. And, you know, that tells you right there that, you know, he he knows, he understands, and yeah. and and he's accepted. Yeah. And I saw him the next day at the bottom of the uh, media center, and he was in a golf cart with Shunk, and Becky uh, Hunter Ray and one of her kids was, was down there, and there was Robin's sister, and also, you know, Robin's entourage was down there, and Robin was sitting in the golf cart eating a hot dog, Asked me if I wanted some fries. <laughs> and I said, Robin's going to go out on his terms. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, when you know that, when you know you got a week to live, I'm going to eat whatever I want to. He, 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 had, he had a great run. Yeah, he really did. Yeah, he did. I appreciate your time. No, no problem. I know it's not a it's not an easy one for you either. You no, know? nope, no, nope, not at all. But one of the parts of the job that are not not really envious. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Well, you take care. Okay. You too. Thanks. All right. Bye. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or... For household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. In more recent years, Dario Franchitti and Miller formed a great friendship. The three-time Indianapolis 500 winner and four-time NTT IndyCar Series champion was a regular at Miller's famed Tuesday night dinners. Here's an interview I conducted with Franchitti about Robin Miller. Well, I'd rather talk to you under better circumstances, but we lost a pal, and uh, we need to honor him, mm -hmm. and I know you were very close to him, and I know that you were a regular at his Tuesday night dinners, Yeah, and um, 
I mean, there was only one Robin Miller. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, I think that's a very good way to to, to describe him. He was he was he was kind of he was larger than life, wasn't he? In his whether that was his personality, you know, in person, or whether that was his writing, he, you know, he he definitely was was opinionated. Um, and he wasn't easily swayed from that opinion, which I think is what made him so, you know, so by by people that read his work and, and listened to his work on TV. Um, but he got it. Did he love? Did he love IndyCar racing and and the speedway? It was, you know, it was definitely the the love of his life, wasn't it? Um, yeah. He, you know, he he absolutely worshipped. You know whether that was Cornelli, AJ, you know Rick, Johnny Rutherford, that whole generation. Obviously, Jim Herdebees was, you know, but, but anybody from that generation, he he absolutely worshipped. But at the same point, he he would get so excited about a new young talent coming along that he thought was something special. So he he wasn't one of those guys that was just rooted in the past. I mean, he, you know, him and I would a lot of times would. Um, we bond over our sort of love of the history of the sport, but then we'd get equally excited again talking about a, some driver, a new rookie that had caught his, you know, caught his attention. Um, and it was, yeah, we had some cracking dinners. We really did. We had we had some with <laughs> with him, Shunk. You know that it was it was not him and Shunk. They were like Batman and Robin. Um, and then it was a cast of characters that you know who would show up, including you know myself, lucky enough to show up at these dinners. And you know sometimes you get Foyt there, um, Bobby Unser, generally not at the same time as AJ, but you get Bobby there. Um, you get Johnny Rutherford, um, who we always used to laugh would never pick up the check. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know you get you get Parnelli. I mean we we had some real impromptu. Dinners with Parnelli. It was just that was one of the. It was just you never knew you never knew who was going to show up, and it was it was always fun. And if it was just him, Shunk, and I again, it was it was it was it was always funny. Bring these photos. He always had this trick of he bring all these photographs of different sort of eras and just random photos to get conversation started. And you know, T would show up at a lot of the dinners too. So, um. They were they were fun, and then obviously on the hospitality when you would you would hold court, um, yeah, great great memories, great memories. Was it usually a La Margarita? Yeah, we spent a lot of time at La Margarita. Um, occasionally, we went to was it Arias? Yeah, we and that was especially when Mario was in town. We would go to Arias and we'd we'd have dinner there. We, that was a that was a, a really fun dinner when Mario showed up. We went to Irias and Chris Simmons came along as well. And there's a, a good bunch of us there. But um, normally La Margarita, where he'd bring his was it Thousand Island dressing he would bring. Yeah, he 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 had a very uh, defined or unique uh, palate, <laughs> as, as you could say. <laughs> yes, it was. The last I saw him. Well, of course, there was the day he was inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame, and then uh, at Speedway on August twelfth or on August thirteenth, yeah. and then uh, 
The next day, I'm coming back. The IndyCar race is over. I think the Xfinity Series race is about to start. There's Robin on the golf cart, and there's uh, Shunk, and there's Robin's sister, and there's our Becky Hunter Ray and one of her sons. And there's Robin sitting in the passenger seat of the, of the golf cart, and he's eating a hot dog. Sitting there wondering, like, I wonder how that's going to affect the platelets and all the other things that he's got to rejuvenate in his body. But, I mean, hey, it's Robin Miller, and I mean his... And he offered me some fries. <laughs> I could just tell that he was at peace with everything. And that uh -huh. was the amazing thing is the fact that when he got inducted in the Motorsports Hall of Fame, he concluded by going, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I've lived a great life. Yeah. So... I just that saw was. a guy at peace. He wasn't this peripatetic bundle of energy that uh, that he normally was. And you could also see the appreciation of everybody that was there to to talk to him. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was it was a special day. That's when I, that was my last text. You know, I'm just looking here. That was my last text. I was joking with him saying, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't it was just over 10 years ago, you'd have got thrown clean out of there. Yeah, I said, but look, at, look at you now getting a standing ovation, and it's so so well deserved. And yeah, he was, he, as you know, you know, Robin, he always put up his sort of he didn't care attitude, but he did care, and he was, I think, he was unbelievably proud of of rightly being recognised by the speedway, and um, yeah, I read something he said the other day. And it was something like you can, as a measure of how you're thought of is who picks up your call, you know. And I don't, I honestly don't think there's a person in the paddock wouldn't pick up, as soon as they saw it was Robin on the floor, wouldn't pick up that call. Sometimes it was to argue about something he'd maybe written or said, but it was pretty quickly forgotten, you know what I mean? He, he, uh, he was, yeah, he was very, very, he was really well thought of wasn't it respected I think is the, the word that comes to mind um, you know, and I was I feel very fortunate to have had him as a friend how did this friendship with him begin um, it was I mean I, we spoke when I first came over we would talk and he was I'd never met a journalist like him you know I was like well who's this guy you know he, he's out there <laughs> That was my sort of introduction to Robin, um, and then he he tried to introduce me into the what's the word the intricacies of basketball at one point, which I really wasn't that interested in learning about. Um, <laughs> and then when I started when I started dating Ashley, he bought me a Kentucky top, um, and he's like, "This is going to put you in good stead, man." Here you go, and he got me this Kentucky basketball top. Yeah, and I think it was from that point we became, you know, we we started becoming closer, and then we sort of we we formed, you know, we, I guess we formed a friendship around that love of again, like I say, the love of the history, of the sport, and the love of Jim Clark. And, you know, he was he was a big contributor to my Jim Clark collection with pictures and just little knickknacks and stuff that you found. And yeah, um, from pretty early on in my IndyCar career, he was a big, he was a big presence in my, in the in, in my sort of personal, what's the word, my, um, or I guess, and we, we, we became 
great pals, and um, you know we had a couple of differences of opinion over the years. Yeah, but we we got over them pretty quickly. Well, I will say that whenever they have the estate sale for his auto racing collection, there's going to be a ton of us lined up out there because he's got some really good stuff. Yeah, he does, and again, it's that it's that love of of the sport. It's not just it was never just his job, and that, I think that's why he got so passionate about you know whether it was the split or or, or what he saw happening to the sport at times. That I think it that's why he got so so. Yeah, passionate and why you know he he really you know got upset and then I, I I do think that when he saw Roger taking over the Speedway and the IndyCar series I think he thought okay this is in good hands this yeah. is okay this is good and, I, I, and I, that was a big thing for him yeah because he you know he worried about it how did the Tuesday night dinners Begin and you pretty much went all the time, didn't you? Yeah, when I was in town, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just, you know, I didn't even know Shunk. Shunk and I, Shunk said, hey, let's go have dinner. Robin's, you know, we're getting, some of us are getting together, absolutely. And then it became, every time I was in town, it was like, hey, are we doing dinner? And a lot of times, if I was up for a seat set or an engineering meeting or something, it's like, right, where is everyone? Let's, let's do dinner. Yeah. And we did it, um, you know, we, we would, whenever we got the chance, whatever time of year, we would all get together and, and, and have dinner and whoever was in town would, would join. And and then during the month of May, it was as many nights as we could fit in. Um, you know, just, again, just sitting and, and that, that was always fun because people, you know, more and more people were in town and you, you had some... Yeah, some really interesting conversations. Well, and the other thing a lot of people that probably didn't know Robin like we knew him was just his generosity. You know, he was always buying us something. It's like he, he would spend several thousand dollars on these sweatshirts that were the theme of that month's Indy 500 that him and Chunk would would cook up. Not a lot of people out there that have that kind of generosity that's just going to go ahead and drop a couple of grand to pass out some Bobby Unser sweatshirts or Dario sweatshirts or things like that to their pals in racing. That, yeah, absolutely right. And that's, you know, that was the thing. I mean, he, and he would always say, oh, I want some money on a game because he obviously loved, he loved his gambling. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, between him and Shunk, again, their generosity just to do to do those things and, and to produce those shirts and to, you know, when they hosted some of the roasts and stuff and organizing that. And it was, you know, yeah. I mean, the, gen- the generosity that he, he had was incredible, but he, he always camouflaged it behind that gruff exterior, didn't he? Yeah. And then he would hand, you know, like I said to you, he was a massive contributor to my Jim Clark collection because he'd go, Hey kid, found this. There you go. And then he would make some some remark about, "Jesus, another you know effing thing that I you know yeah. that I'm giving you." <laughs> and and yeah, so you know he that was him. That was his. He was like that gruff guy with, uh, but you know, incredibly, incredibly generous. And um, and that was also the thing. If you you know if there was a if you had an accident or something, he. It was part of him doing his professional job, but most of the time it was, "Hey, you okay? What's going on? How are you feeling?" Which, you know, and that was not for, you know, whether that was racer or ESPN or whoever. That was Robin just checking in. 
Yeah. But I mean, he was a guy that may not always agreed with him, but you certainly respected what he had to say. Oh, absolutely. That was the thing. And um, yeah, most, you know, when we had disagreements, again, there's a handful and handful over 20 something years is pretty, it's pretty, pretty, pretty good ratio. Yeah. But I always respected his, I always respected his point of view and he would, he would defend it vigorously. He never, you know, he would never just roll over because you, you pointed something out. You would, you'd have to have a, a proper debate with him why you thought you were right. And, you know, one time in 10, he might go, Oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. But generally he was, you know, he knew stuff going on that other, you know, others could only dream about finding out the, the, the back, the, the intricacies of the deals that were going on, the, the backroom stuff that was happening, you know, that was one of when Chip and I did my deal at the end of 08, going drive for Chip and IndyCar. We were, Chip and I, Mike Hall, we were so proud that nobody knew, including Robin. Nobody, there wasn't a word breathed to everybody. And Robin said it was one of the few surprises, genuine surprises he's ever had yeah. with stuff like that. And, um, you know, we, we, we took great pride in, in actually stringing us aside. Well, Robin wrote, you could pretty much take to the bank. With Robin, you could pretty much say this is going to happen and that that's just how plugged in Robin was to what was really going on. Oh, he had he had sources everywhere. Every team. Whether it was the guy at the top of the organization, the guy sweeping the floors, and lots of people in between. Yeah. He, he was so hooked up. And, um, you know, that was so it was, it was difficult to keep a secret from Robin. The other thing was his reverence for the history of the race, having those winner's dinners that got put on, just oh. treating uh, Parnelli and treating uh, Dan Gurney and treating those people the way they should be treated when they uh, arrived in town. And those are all irreplaceable things, and hopefully somebody's able to, to continue that tradition. I would say Shunk probably will in some degree that's sometimes kind of a tough thing to do but robin had so much reverence for those guys that it was important for him to do that yeah and i think you gotta like i said to you shunk and him were batman and robin and they they definitely went hand in hand and those dinners were, were both of them putting those those things on and um you know they, when you sit and i i'm sitting here just thinking about some of the people that were there and you know gurney's not there anymore um, Bobby's not there anymore, um, and now Robin's not there. It's like, geez, the, yeah. How lucky were how lucky were we to get to experience that and and to sit there and, and listen to the chat? And you know, Nigel Roebuck would come over um, instead of go to the Monaco Grand Prix. He would come over and 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 come and watch the Indy Five Hundred and you know go, go visit some dirt tracks and um, and he'd come to the dinners and. And participate, and you know that I think him and you know him and Robin had this mutual admiration going on. Um, yeah, so those 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 dinners were were so special. Yeah, and now um, Parnelli's not going to really be traveling anymore either. So, like I said, I wish this had been better circumstances to talk to you about. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, you know, I, I think I've been very fortunate what I got to do in IndyCar and um, made some great friends. And Robin was right, you know, absolutely right up there. Yeah. Um, and I was so fortunate to have him as a friend for the, you know, for those 
couple of decades and and I'll miss him. Yeah, I think we all will. Yeah, we will, pal. Yeah, hear you, buddy. Yeah. I, one of the things I remember just in my mind was when he, him and Weldon, NBC put it up earlier, it was him and Weldon doing the grid walk at Iowa. Yeah. And that was some quality TV. <laughs> just those two. He was a legend. He's probably as influential a person as ever uh, been at that place. So, all right. All right, pal. Well, I'll see you there. Thanks for your help. Thanks, Bruce. I'll see you. Anytime, pal. Bye. Take care. Yeah, bye. Tony Kanaan is another driver that became very close friends with Miller. The 2013 Indianapolis 500 winner and 2004 IndyCar Series champion shares his thoughts on his old friend in this interview. I hate to talk to you under these circumstances, but you and Robin were very close. And, yeah. you know, this day hit everybody hard. And I just felt that no story would be complete without talking to you about him. And mm-hmm. what are your reflections on him? I mean, Bruce, it's, you know, obviously we were close. So I hate to, uh, because you only like, which it wasn't the case, but you know what happens, right? Like, you die and then obviously, oh, Bruce was so great. Everybody's Bruce's friend or Tony's friend. You know, it's like, it's, it's sad sometimes the way that humans are, but that's definitely not the case with Robin. You, 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 and we, we all saw the commotion yesterday on social media. Um, how that touched so many people in so many levels. And, and for me, I mean, it's, I lost a good friend. Um, we lost probably one of the most passionate guys, um, that our sport ever had. Um, obviously he was one that formed opinions around as well. He was the one that everybody, and it didn't matter what Robbie had to say. People would, would listen or read it or giving him the time. So with that credibility, it's really hard. It's really hard to uh, to put in words what he meant to the sport. Not, I mean, personally, I mean, again, for friends, we had many dinners every Tuesday night at Mexican. We had, um, you know, state fairs, which you've been to with us, uh, I believe. Um, you know, we, we made shirts. We, we talked when... I got fired and he says, I'm going to write about it. Um, he knew stuff that even before it came out and I will tell him not to say anything and he wouldn't, you know? Um, so it was a hard day yesterday just because, you know, you don't, you don't want to lose people like that, yeah. you know? And then I think, uh, that's just unfortunate. This is life. You know, um, we all going to be gone one day, but, Selfishly, you don't like to see your friends go. You know what I mean? Selfishly, you want to go before them so you don't have to suffer through it. So, in a way, I mean, obviously, you can say, oh, it was a surprise. Of course not. I was close to him. I was talking to Diane, his sister, every single day this week. We knew the day before that this was over. You know, and then at that point, you only hope that the guy wasn't suffering, you know? Yeah. Um, But, I mean, 
look what he meant. I mean, he got inducted. I was so glad that he made it to the track that, that day. But look, even if you listen to his interview that day, his stories, how many people got out of their way to help him. You know, like you're talking about Jim Ursay. I mean, you're talking about people that are not, they're not even related to our sport. That's what, you know, I think, you know, one good thing that he took it with him, um, you know, when, you know, Robin was a very uh, reserved person. You didn't know much about Robin's life. You didn't know a lot about Robin's weaknesses. You know, you never seen Robin cry. Even when he was sick, he wouldn't tell you exactly how bad it was it and, and so on. And I think one thing he took it with him was he realized how loved he was towards the end of his life, which is, to me, I mean, I think he went in peace because I don't think he expected. Um, were you there when he gave you the, the those guys an interview when he got inducted? Yeah. Yeah, you listen to that speech. That that tells you everything. Yeah, I mean, so basically, what else do you want in life, to be honest? Yeah. Um, if if we we all gonna go one day, and and if if and if before I go, I would have the luxury to to feel how much I've been loved in life, not just by my family, but by my friends. How many friends I really have, and and were there for me. I mean, that is not a lot more that you can ask. So I think Robin was uh, an awesome human being. Love it and hate him. He was always Robin. Um, one thing that I admire on Robin, he never bullshit anybody. He got fired because of that. He got people one on his head because he wrote stuff about them that was true. Yeah. Right. And then you see, in the end, the end of the day, those people are still didn't hate Robin. You know, <laughs> so it, it, it's it was just it's a it was a fine line, and and then he was always him. So great guy. Um, Huge loss, not as a friend in life, but also I think motor racing has a big hole, a huge hole now. Do you recall when you first met Robin Miller? Oh, yeah, yeah. Back in bloody 96. Yeah. Um, was, you know, right the year of the after the split, and I was in Indy Lights, and obviously at that time, Robin was Robin, right? You're always afraid of Robin. Like, you're like, well, I got to be careful what I'm going to say here before you meet him, you know? You're like, mm. But Robin was, from the get-go, always my best. I used to call him my manager, you know, because Robin would write something about it or would tell somebody, some team owner, this kid's really good. This kid's really good. You know, I mean, so I can go from Michael to Chip to AJ back to Chip. You know, and, and he was that kind of guy that people, he, even though people sometimes probably didn't give him the credit or make him believe they were listening, they were listening. Like, and, and, and he was so genuine that, because Robbie could use that in his advantage big time, at any time. And never did. He did it because he really believed I was good or Connor Daly was good or whoever. I mean, you can have, look how many drivers wrote things about Robin that, People had no clue he did. Yeah, you know our state our state fair um, encounters that we used to go shoot basketballs because he knows my wife is a badass, um, a basketball shooter, and 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 we'll get stuffed animals and we'll give to kids on the spot. And he would he would 
pay everything for everybody at there to like, you know, to shoot the balls and that kind of stuff that you go, you know, it's, it's, again, we can talk for hours. You know that, I mean, you, you as as good friend of mine and he was, we know each other for as long as I knew Robin. So, I mean, you have a lot more to, to filter it, to actually put it on your story, but that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. And also the, time that you've spent uh with robin when you were doing the trackside shows for channel six those were probably if only more people around the united states have been able to see those shows because those were probably some of the most insightful tv shows during the month of may about the race oh no 100 percent. and then again bruce i had the pleasure to actually work with robin you know i mean i'm not a journalist i'm not an analyst i'm just a driver but i had you know the privilege to every may for 12 years in a row, work with him. But again, uh, him and Dave first are personal friends. We hanged around so much um, off track that it was never really work. You know what I mean? We're like, we're, we sat in a table and we just talk about the day. And then, and, and Robin was always the one that knew, oh, no, this was a draft. This was not. And people would be, you know, obviously he had enough credibility that people would listen to. I would say he's, as important to the history of that place as many of the winning drivers. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I think a place like that is not only made with fans. There are driver fans. You need to educate the fans. And, and that was Robin. And there's not a single soul that is not a fan of IndyCar. They didn't know Robin Miller. They didn't want to listen to what Robin Miller had to say that we, you know, so, um, that that's what I'm saying. I don't think, I don't think people realize. I think eventually they will, because obviously I can't expect people to realize how big of a hole this is going to live for us. But and we're only going to see that in the long haul because I don't think there was anybody around that paddock that loved IndyCar as much as Robin did, and it always worked generally for the best of it. I appreciate you hanging in there and talking and um, hope things are looking up and hope everything works out. I assume next year's plans remain as they were in May. Yeah, we're good. We're, we're all good. We're all good for next year. Yeah. Same thing. So we'll see what Jimmy wants to do. But he, um, even if he does it, we're going to run, you know, we will run five yeah. cars. So for me and the old only. So five cars, I mean the fifth car for the old. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. See you, man. And that puts a checkered flag on this special edition of Pit Pass Indy, a tribute to Robin Miller. We want to thank IndyCar owner Roger Penske, racing legend Mario Andretti, four-time Indianapolis 500 winner Rick Mears, three-time Indy 500 winner and four-time IndyCar champion Dario Franchitti, and 2013 Indianapolis 500 winner and 2004 IndyCar champion Tony Kanaan for joining us on today's podcast. Each one of them were able to share stories and anecdotes about the late Robin Miller. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests helped make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. 
This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.